Before you begin listening to this bonus episode in season three, we wanted to let you know that this is actually an update to the very first episode from season one called Language Matters. We've learned and we've grown since we produced season one. And this updated version of that podcast episode isn't overwhelmingly different, but little things matter. And at JCoin, we try to learn and grow with the times. See if you can spot the differences. And thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to season three of the Aced It podcast, where we translate science into sense, so you can learn about research in the justice and health fields without having to access or read lengthy journal articles or reports. I'm Danielle Rudes, your host, and I'll do most of the work for you. All you have to do is listen. Aced It is a cool and super helpful product brought to you by the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University in Virginia. For more information, check out jcoinctc.org. Now, Let's get started. How often do you think about the language you use to describe groups of people? Surely words have an impact, as we are taught from a young age. But apart from name-calling and rude words, how often do we think about the ways we refer to certain people or populations? What image does the term illegal aliens or criminal aliens conjure in your mind? Now, what about undocumented people? How about drug addict or inmate? What do you see in your mind's eye? Now think of a person with a substance use disorder. Language matters. It shapes how we perceive and see the world. Recent efforts to be more intentional about the way we talk about those in contact with the criminal legal system urge us to move past negative labels such as prisoner, felon, criminal, and defender and reference individuals not by their actions, but rather by their personhood. This movement is called person-first language. So what does person-first language mean exactly? Using person-first language means referring to individuals or groups in a way that emphasizes them as people rather than by a certain status. For example, shifting from describing a person as disabled to describing them as a person with a disability. Advocates, scholars, and practitioners, both in the criminal, legal, and medical fields, increasingly recognize the importance of using person-first language. According to Amy Crocker and Susan Smith's 2019 article, Person-First Language, Are We Practicing What We Preach? Students in healthcare professions now routinely learn to use person-first language. And the use of person-first language has become the expectation when submitting for publication in scholarly medical journals, if not a requirement. However, they note that the use of person-first language does not often translate beyond academia and education. It is not really a common norm among medical practitioners. And the authors argue that failing to use person-first language can impact individuals' ability to be heard and seen as a participant in their own care. Like the medical field, person-first language is important when talking about or to individuals who are involved in the criminal legal system. And advocates, scholars, and practitioners within the criminal legal system have also pushed us to be more intentional with how we address those receiving services and participating in research. However, like the medical field, the use of person-first language in the criminal legal system remains unadopted on a wider scale. Shifting to person-first language in the criminal legal system means moving past the common labels we use to describe people, labels such as prisoner, defendant, 
offender, or felon, for example, to terms that reflect the true temporary nature of a person's status, like resident or person involved with the criminal legal system. Don Freeman, president and CEO of Securus Foundation, emphasizes the importance of person-first language in the criminal legal system. The Securus Foundation works to promote the successful re-entry of those affected by incarceration. Freeman saw the challenges of re-entry in her own life through the experiences of criminal legally involved family members, as well as experiences of family members working in the criminal legal field. After volunteering and working with individuals who were formerly incarcerated, Dawn found the Securus Foundation. According to her article, Changing the Way We Dialogue About Justice, referring to individuals as their status in the system, for example, offender, criminal, or inmate, creates negative emotions such as despair and hopelessness. And those in contact with the criminal legal system often experience dehumanizing circumstances, which these labels can exacerbate. Using labels like offender and criminal, which are based on a person's past actions, make them seem permanent, like it's part of who they are. Using words like residents or clients, however, does not refer to individuals simply by what they have done, but rather describes their current experiences. In their 2018 article, Words Matter, a call for humanizing and respectful language to describe people who experience incarceration, Tran and colleagues explain the harmful impacts that labels can have on individuals. Referring to people in contact with the criminal legal system by their involvement, charges, or history of substance use creates stigma. This impacts how others view them and perhaps how they view themselves. Images being referred to as an action that you're not proud of. When thinking about your own life, it's clear how labeling people by their past actions can bring up negative emotions. And as Tran and colleagues note, incarceration is widely viewed as one of the worst experiences individuals can endure. Not only do labels stigmatize individuals, but labels can impact the quality of healthcare and access to services. This is incredibly important for people who tend to have greater physical and mental health needs than the general population, such as those often involved in the criminal legal system. Tran and colleagues note that while health practitioners are shifting to person-first language, they often only apply this to their clients who are not involved with the criminal legal system, noting that medical publications often still refer to individuals in custody as inmate or prisoner. Bedell and colleagues echo this sentiment in their 2019 article, Corrections for Academic Medicine, the importance of using person-first language for individuals who have experienced incarceration. The authors explain that prisons and jails house a large population of individuals with chronic illnesses and mental health disorders. This reality, combined with a large number of Americans involved in the criminal legal system, speaks to the importance of academies, universities, and other professional training centers to train healthcare providers to interact with those who are affected by incarceration. Like Tran and colleagues and Freeman, Bedell and colleagues argue that the way medical practitioners refer to individuals impacts their interactions and can convey judgment. Despite the challenges inherent in any change of this magnitude, Freeman points to signs that adopting the use of person-first language in the criminal legal system is, in fact, possible. Agencies across the country have begun to rename. For example, in California, the Corrections Department is now California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. 
By including the goal of rehabilitation in the name, the department makes it clearer that those involved in the justice system can change. Tran and colleagues also address how these changes can be implemented, advocating for organizations to hold values workshops and trainings on how to best refer to populations in a dignifying and respectful way. Crocker and Smith emphasize the need for further research on how labels impact individuals, medical or treatment outcomes, and encourage empowering individuals with diagnoses to lead the conversation on how they wish to be addressed. Lastly, Bedell and colleagues argue for more widespread adoption of person-first language among medical and criminal legal researchers as a way to continue the normalization of this practice. In fact, several journals, including JSAT, recently changed its author guidelines to ask researchers to use person-first and or non-stigmatizing language in all publication submissions. And the Marshall Project, a leading media outlet for news related to the criminal legal system, revised its own language guidelines to reflect humanizing language choices. Their language project details the survey they conducted to determine which language to use, which was preferred by folks who had been involved in systems, and a variety of articles written about how people working and living in U.S. prisons and jails or post-release are working to change their own and others, dehumanizing language. While remaining aware of the labels we use and their impact may seem daunting, it is an important step in providing quality care in both criminal legal and medical organizations. By addressing populations in a non-stigmatizing way, practitioners and researchers can emphasize that individuals are still valued and valuable members of society. Because as Freeman, Tran and colleagues, Crocker and Smith, and Bedell and colleagues argue, our words matter. Changing how we address those affected by many systems won't happen overnight. It will take cultural changes and a sustained commitment to educating ourselves and being more intentional in how we talk about people. But words are too important to give up the challenge or slip back into old habits. You might not be able to change a criminal. You might not be inclined to give them the best medical treatment. And a criminal might feel that's just who they are. But you can certainly change and provide quality care to people, all people. The dynamic state of being involved in systems or a system is a label that comes off. Let's not keep making it the descriptor of who people are. Let's all promise to humanize, empathize, and do better. For a list of words to use, and words to avoid, check out the Marshall Project's The Language Project website at www.themarshallproject.org. And for further reading on this topic, you might also read Alexandra Cox's The Language of Incarceration. It's in the journal Incarceration from 2020. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode on language. It's important that JCoin and all of us Keep up with the new and important changes to how we choose to talk about people. And we wanted to show you that we're not infallible and we've updated our own language. We've also included in a one-page discussion summary that includes some questions you could ask yourself or the people that you work with or your students about why and how language matters and how these two podcast episodes differ and what impact that might have on the way that we think about people and more importantly, the way we talk about them. 
Thank you so much for giving us the grace to be able to learn along with you. That wraps another episode of the Aced It podcast. We thank you for listening to Aced It, where we translate science into sense. Also remember, you can find one-page summary overviews written in plain language for all the research we cover on this podcast on our website, www.jcoinctc.org. Our conveniently packaged research summaries may help you remember what you heard here and they will help you translate this research to your staff, friends, students, or colleagues. ACEDIT is part of the NIDA-funded Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network, or JCOIN, through the Coordination and Translation Center, CTC, housed at the Center for Advancing Correctional Excellence, ACE, at George Mason University. You can find ACEDIT on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, really anywhere that you'd normally find podcasts. Tune in again for more science and more sense with ACEDIT.